I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by USAA Auto Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions. Thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage is not one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how much you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know what sounds good after a long day? Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some. Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it, all that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family, at least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. The Rewatchables is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network where 99.9% of the time I remember to press record on my Zoom recorder. And this time I didn't because we had a special guest. We have Jennifer Lawrence on the podcast to break down Dumb and Dumber. And we were talking as we were about to go on and I thought I pressed record and I didn't. So you're getting Zoom audio from both sides. So I apologize in advance because usually uh, usually we have great audio on this podcast. We pride ourselves in the pod sounding good. This sounds fine, but there's a couple times when, because it's on Zoom, you know, if both of us are talking at the same time, it'll cut out for a second. So my bad. I apologize in advance, but we're breaking down Dumb and Dumber. I think this is the first Jim Carrey movie we've ever done on the rewatchables, which is almost impossible because we've almost done about 300 of them. Uh, we do not have a lot of celebrity guests on the pod, but we said, screw it. You know what? It's the summer. Let's get a little frisky. Dumb and Dumber, Jennifer Lawrence. It's next. Without a doubt, the most intelligent, enlightening motion picture experience of a lifetime. Good day, mate. <laughs> I laughed till I stopped. <laughs> A movie filled with actors, scenery, and talking. See it with someone who knows how to get to the theater. Dance to the beat of a different drummer boy. Provocative, compelling, and other big words. I got worms. Movies come and go, but this one's here right now. Dumb and Dumber. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, December 16th. All right, Jennifer Lawrence is here. She wanted to do a rewatchables. We sent her a list of possibilities and she sent back Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> why? Why why was this your choice? I mean the in the title rewatchables, that is my that's a rewatchable Lawrence special for thousands of years. It's been in your life probably since you first started watching movies, right? I'm way older than you, so I saw this in the theater. Were you allowed to watch this early? When were you actually allowed oh, to watch it? I was it? the third kid. Nobody was monitoring what I was watching. I My favorite show was Nip Talk when I was like 11. 
The third kid always gets away with a lot of stuff. That would be a good podcast. The third kid, just all the yeah. things that they were allowed to do. I married a third kid. My wife is. Um, so yes, Dumb and Dumber was a staple in our household. This was the year of Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. First actor ever to have three films go number one in the same year, 1994. Wow. What was it? Mask? Ace Ventura. Uh-huh. Mask. Dumb and Dumber, which came wow. out in December. He did $706 million worth of uh, box office in 94 and went from... So my history with him, he was this comedian in the 80s who... He would pop on talk shows every once in a while, but he could do impressions of everybody. He could do like Clint Eastwood and he could do Charles Bronson and all these different people. Mm -hmm. And then he was in a vampire movie, Lauren Hutton, that wasn't very good. And then he ended up on In Living Color, which was Fox's version of SNL. And he became a breakout star on that. Everybody liked him, but he just, the movie thing just never happened. And then all of a sudden it happened. And he was the biggest comedian star in the world. And it really happened. Um, You never met him, did you? I met him once in Atlanta when they were filming Dumb and Dumber 2. I wanted to be in the movie just like as something I was going to be. Um, what was her name? The ex-girlfriend, Frida. They talked about her that wrote the John Deere letter. Uh, anyway, um, but it just I was shooting one of the Hunger Games, so we did not work it out schedule wise. But I also met the Farley brothers at the same time. It was it was huge. So have you. Yeah, I mean, you have a comedy coming out this month, but have you been in like a super duper silly movie like this before? No, never. I mean, I've always wanted to. I've always been, you know, open to comedy, but I don't know. And the in the evolution of comedy after like the kind of early 2000s, Judd Apatow, there, there just there's been kind of like a blind spot a little bit. There wasn't anything that I was reading that I felt like would be funny enough. We talk about producer Craig and I talk about this all the time. We're we're something shifted in the mid two thousands, and it was right around like Neighbors, and this is the end. But yeah, then right after that, yeah, I mean, this all, is the end is hilarious. This is the end, and Neighbors happened. But then somewhere in the mid two thousand tens, comedy shifted. People, I think, became a little more sensitive. Yeah, um, people became a little more afraid to push the envelope with comedy, which is kind of what you have to do. And then we moved into this different yeah. era. Yeah, I mean that's the the I mean I hope that I hope it works out for our comedy because it's it's not appropriate. It is offensive. Yeah, we talk about this all the time where it's you know, there's lines and part of what makes something really funny is if the line gets crossed a little bit and you're never gonna know how to cross lines unless you accidentally cross a couple lines that maybe go a tiny bit too far, but you don't realize. And, but otherwise, everybody's just going to be scared the whole time. So these yeah. are your movies. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, there's like cruel, that's just like not funny. And, yeah, you know, that's, I mean, like Dumb and Dumber, there's Mary Swanson is obviously a lot smarter and more together than than Larry, than Lloyd. Yeah, the, I think one of the reasons Dumb and Dumber has become so timeless is it is like, you know, it, it it has some fun with the lines, but it doesn't cross it. But it's just so silly and fun. It's kind of timeless. It's yeah. You know, now it's twenty nine years old. It's that comedy. It's that that comedy gold. That's just like, I mean, Jim Carrey's physical comedy and slapstick is amazing. But it's just like it's universally funny. And when I was rewatching it for this, and I'm still laughing at all the same spots. It's just like that really universal comedy. That's not so much like it's definitely not so much about wit. I mean, it is wit and timing but like that delivery those performances yeah that's the thing 
And we're going to try to figure out later in the pod what 2023 actors could have played those two roles. But um, so. No, thank you for giving me a hint so I can start thinking about it. Yeah, you can put it in the back of your brain. Um, the Farrelly brothers did not know who Jim Carrey was. They were only told he was the white guy in Living Color, which he, ba- which he basically was. Um, wow. And imagine then him showing up on set and seeing that meteor before your very eyes. Well, I think they saw, so they're negotiating with them and it's like in the, you know, the 400, 500 K range, but then Ace Ventura comes out, the Farrelly brothers see it and they're like, oh my God, we struck gold. But now Jim Carrey is also struck gold. So, Hey, my price has changed. So right. he ends up getting 7 million for the film instead of uh, the 400 to 500 K range, but they're happy because he's Had anybody always- been paid 7 million for a film. So people have been paid that, but what happened after these three movies was he makes the cable guy. And when he does the cable guy, he gets 20 million bucks and it becomes this huge story. Like, oh my God. Cause he had that and Demi Moore got paid somewhere around the same for striptease. And it became this whole thing of, oh my God, actors, they're making so much money now, but really yeah. they probably should have been making this much money the whole time. Right? Like you think, the, the Clint and Sly and Tom Cruise, all those people, they were the reasons the movie were making money. So this was a salary shift that basically starts here. The Jeff Daniels piece was even crazier because so he does Speed that year, that summer. And he'd been considered to be basically a dramatic actor until then, but Speed hits with Keanu Reeves. And the Farrelly brothers want him for, for this, but New Line Cinema doesn't want him. So they lowball him and he still takes it. He only made 50K. And his agents didn't want him to do it. Nobody wanted him to do it. Um, New Line's kind of hoping he ends up like quitting, never quits, and just clicks with Jim Carrey and the rest of the Who did they want to replace him with if they wanted him to quit? Probably a bigger. We're going to go. We have casting what ifs for this later. There's a bunch of them where they're trying to shove different people in this, but nobody knew that he was this funny. And so he becomes another big winner from this. But it goes back to what you said earlier like the performances are ridiculous and if yeah. one of those guys are off the movie doesn't work you know yeah the Farrelly brothers had never directed a movie before there's some stuff on the internet about the original screenplay was kind of come up with by john hughes the guy who did all the 80s breakfast club and um yeah. first view or all those things i, I know so, john hughes no but really what is the screenplay it's you know two two idiots on a road trip right and they in, and they improvised a bunch of it too. So um, yeah, that's not really what makes the the movie the movie. No, but so so he's not involved. His name isn't even. There's stuff on the internet about his name was stripped from the project because he wanted he didn't want to have his name on it. I I don't know what was true or what wasn't true, but it definitely like the genesis. Like they definitely batted around ideas with them. Um, Seventeen million dollar budget. It made two hundred forty seven point three billion dollars. Wait, what was the budget again? <laughs> 17 million, which 40% of that went to Jim Carrey. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I made 247.3 million was the fourth biggest movie of the year. And a lot of that was the Jim Carrey train. Cause this happens yeah. sometimes where somebody becomes a star and then whatever the next movie is, People yeah. are like, I got to see that new star. And then it happens three times and then. <laughs> right. Well, then cable guy, everybody was like, all right, enough for this guy. But he was still, you know, he's still, he went on another heater after that in the late nineties. So, it, I mean, his run from 94 through the rest of the decade is ridiculous. Cause yeah, he's got liar, liar. He's got a whole liar, bunch of liar, stuff. Coming. So good. It's funny to go back and read the reviews of this movie though. Roger Ebert 
who we always use for the rewatchables to to see where what his barometer was. Two stars. Wasn't a huge <laughs> fan. Um, he said Drew, Jim Carrey was a true original, and he said that the parakeet joke made me laugh so loudly I embarrassed myself. I just couldn't stop. Well, which one? He's so old that his head fell off, or <laughs> yeah, the, I think the, head, the head fell. Yeah, the petting the parakeet. Um, but wasn't a huge fan. The consensus was like mixed reviews, but everybody loved it. And now belated, everybody's like, that's a classic, which is sometimes yeah. what happens with this stuff. Um, and then Lauren Holly had been in like the Bruce Lee movie. She was in Beautiful Girls, I think, uh, two years later. But this is probably the biggest movie she's been in. So this, you would have been the she Lauren was, Holly um, part. She was married to Jim Carrey at the time, I thought. Yeah, they, they fell for each other during the filming. Oh, I thought he cast his wife. Or I think that's what, well, anyway, they only get, they were only married for like a year. They got married a year later after the film came yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but you, that would have been your part in this movie. It would have been? I don't know. What, who would you have played in Dumb and Dumber? Harry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the dog grooming ladies. <laughs> no, I like that idea. You could have maybe in 2023, they would have had maybe Harry's not, maybe it's Harriet. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I I would I'd, I would love to wear the mutton cuts uniform. Um, but yeah, I guess I would play Lauren Holly's part. What would if you were Harriet? What would your hairdo be for that part? Like Jeff Daniels, he had the he shampooed it and then didn't dry it and just made it crazy. I know it really did add so much. Oh, I guess I would. I don't know. I would just do the hairy. I would just get myself bangs and chop it. Although my hair is so curly, it would. It's not naturally like this, but it's naturally more curly. <laughs> well, maybe you make it like curly 80s and just go straight up and be like... Yeah, uh, it could be like a high pony that like, like flops. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to do the categories. We're going to take a, a quick break. This episode is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. You can do it all right in the USAA app. And replacement cost coverage comes standard. That means damaged items are repaired or replaced even if they cost more today than they did when you bought them. Which could put your wallet at ease too, by the way. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring comes with a lot of chores because, you know, spring cleaning. One thing you can clean up right away, your phone bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. They have unlimited talk, text, data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. $15 a month. That's like you can subscribe to two movie channels for that. I mean, what a great deal. Also, Super easy to switch plans. Everyone gets so intimidated by, oh my God, I don't know if I should switch my plan. It's not that hard. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash rewatch. That's us. That's mintmobile.com slash rewatch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for a first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, most rewatchable scene. This was tough because 
there's so many like shorter, usually when we do this and we do like boogie nights or something like that, there are these big ass scenes, you know, like, all right, here are the eight scenes. This one has so many quickie one, two minute, you know, um, little bits. So I'm going to rip through them and then you tell me what I missed. Okay. Oh, we'll just go through and then you give me your takes as we go. Um, (laughs) when, uh, when, when Lloyd wants him to leave, and he says, we got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off. I got, I got I've had it with this dump. We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off. Okay, just calm down. What the hell are we doing here, Harry? We gotta get out of this town. And he talks about beautiful women flocking like the salmon of Capistrano. Instinctively flocking like the salmon of Capistrano. Right. Um, and then he says, I'm sick and tired of trying to eke my way through life. It gets a little sensitive for a second. Sick and tired of having nobody. <laughs> um, Lloyd admits selling Peter the parakeet to a blanket, which is only a minute, but we see the blanket petting the, and does the poly wants crack. Hey, bird. What did you sell him, Lloyd? What kind of stuff? baseball cards, a sack of marbles. <coughs> Petey. Petey? You sold my dead bird to a blind kid? Lloyd, that, that, you, what are you? Petey didn't even have a head. Harry, I took care of it. Pretty bird. Yeah, can you say pretty bird? Pretty bird. That's when you know this movie is officially unhinged. Mm-hmm. The uh, the boys versus sea bass. You know who played sea bass? No. Very famous oh, yeah. hockey player from the nineties. A little really? before your time. Kick his ass, sea bass. Cam Neely from the Boston Bruins, who was one of the biggest stars of the uh, late eighties, nineties. But he's the Farley brothers are New England kids, so they got Cam Neely because they love the Bruins. So he played sea bass. Cool. Um. I don't know if you noticed this, but during this whole scene, the waitress is reading, of course, you're angry. Yeah. (laughs) I don't don't know if that was a real book or not. Um, And then the other thing, when they scan those guys, Lloyd says he saw it in a movie. The movie he saw it in was Something Wild, which starred Jeff Daniels, which was a 1980s movie. So it was a little. I didn't know that. Yeah, a little call out. A little call out for Jeff. Next one I have is Lloyd's dream sequence in the car so he says do you love me and she says no but that's a real nice ski mask (laughs) (laughs) and he's telling the joke to like 10 people and he says she says no but that's a real nice ski mask um does a fire fart we have a dinner fight scene we have him ripping ripping the heart out but uh i don't know it's one of my favorite one of my favorite parts i like the I like his version of what, what like the posh upper class world will think of yeah, his sense of humor. Is. Yeah, torture and the hitman. Where do you stand on that? The peppers. Um, I'm pro, I'm pro it. I'm pro torture and for that scene. That you know that guy is Mike Starr. Yes. Yeah, he's a famous. He's I think he was in Goodfellas. He was in a bunch of yeah, wild yeah. movies. That was when we hear the uh, one hear the most annoying sound in the world. Which was improvised. Improvised and still funny. Hey, 
Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys! 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 So funny to just do like in the car if you're torturing your family. We had the uh the hot the ketchup and the mustard, all that stuff. That was mm-hmm. great. Um the boys realizing what's in the suitcase. Mm-hmm. They rent the hotel Danbury. That's what you think suite. is the funniest part of that scene, though, because the funniest part for me for that scene is um, when he says his hands are going numb, and he says, "You know, the extra gloves. My hands are starting to sweat." You're right. Maybe you should wear these extra gloves. My hands are starting to get sweaty. Extra gloves? You've had this pair of extra gloves this whole time. We're in the Rockies. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Um, well, yeah, we'll start there. And then they rent the Lamborghini Diablo. They're wiping tears with $100 bills. They go tuxedo shopping. I love that whole part. This is in the running for me for most rewatchable. The Snow Owl benefit. <laughs> nice set of hooters you got nice there. Hooters. I was talking about the owls. Um, the, the snowball fight. By the way, Petroge, if you don't love me, I'd kill myself. Little, we'll, we'll go back to that in a second. The uh, the bathroom scene, which is the famous scene. And then, uh, so you're telling me there's a chance. What do you got for most rewatchable? My favorite scene in the movie um, is the limo scene on the way to the airport with Mary Swanson. Okay, tell me why. Well, it's one of my favorite scenes, I guess, in, in history. <laughs> um, why are you going to the airport, flying somewhere? How'd you guess? You know, saw the airline, you know, saw your luggage and I saw the airline ticket, put the two and two together. And then the delivery of I got worms. This isn't my real job, you know. No, no. My friend Harry and I are saving up our money to open our own pet store. That's nice. I got worms. I beg your pardon. That's what we're going to call it. I got worms. We're going to specialize in selling worm farms, you know, like ant farms. And then when he could tell that she was nervous and then, you know, there's really nothing to worry about, Mary. You're more likely to be killed on your way to the airport while there's fiery explosions going on at the back. Like it just kept getting funnier. Um, And then his hug (laughs) when he drops her off, like just imagining being dropped off by a driver at the airport that opens his arms like that. And once (laughs) he Any thought Aspen was in California? California. Beautiful. <laughs> but then there's also the Aspen where when um, Harry goes, I don't know, Lloyd, the French are assholes. Right. Aspen's always in a different place. I think I like when they realize what's in the suitcase is my favorite stretch because then that goes right in the snow owl benefit. Like if I'm flipping channels and they're about to realize that they have the suitcase of money, I'm just saying, because I know the next like 20 minutes. Totally. It is very compelling. All right. What's age the best? So just the hair is really smart in this movie. We talked about it earlier, but Jim Carrey's bowl haircut and his yeah. chipped tooth and mm-hmm. Jeff Daniels hair. It's just kind of perfect. It's absurd, mm-hmm. but it's not like completely insane. I wouldn't be shocked if somebody had hair like this, but it's still fucking crazy. Or would we? They just did a really good job with the universe. I think they did. I like the, uh, the mutt cuts car. Yeah. That for some reason is safe on the outside, but not on the inside. The dogs are just kind of rolling around. Yeah, the shagging. Do you think that? Do you think Peter would be upset if they did that these days with the dogs? I think that would be concerned. 
No, because it's so easy to fake. What's your, do you have an animal story from your career? Did you have to work with an animal? Um, I had to skin a squirrel in winter's bone. And I'll tell you one thing, PETA did not like that one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That was a good movie. I like that one. Um, Seabass's hat. What's age the best? It said Wynum Dynam 69. And for some reason, it's very subtle. You have to like. I never noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, you mentioned the limo scene. I had that here. Lloyd and Hare in the heart hot tub. I've yeah. never seen a hotel room that had a heart hot tub, but it seems like one of those things that only happens in movies. Yeah. The uh, punching the guy through the phone booth always kills me. That's not the only movie where that's happened, but I always like when there's phone booth violence. I Yeah, it's cool. I mean, the whole movie there, it's like a little flipped on their heads where like the villains are like, that, that was a really cool moment for that villain. We're like, oh, he's like, what a badass. Yeah, like, he's a badass. like an action star. 10 to 1 odds I can get you gambling by the end of the day. And then they bet and they're like, you're on. <laughs> I don't know fun. how, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, some of the funny one-liners I wrote down were the uh, Aspen, California, the monkeys inspired the Beatles. Oh, the monkeys inspired the Beatles. Yeah. Soup du jour, soup of the day. Yeah. John Deere letter. Yeah. Sam, him thinking her last name was Samsonite. Yeah. He, say, he says he has a rapist wit. There's like, it just has like... There's like 20 of those where they're just like kind of firing through, but they're not lingering on it. You just kind of have to catch up. I like the fake boogers on the nose. And then uh, the last one I had for what's age the best is the soundtrack. Oh yeah. Great soundtrack. Very, 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 very 94, 95 ish. It's got the crash. And they still, they held up, you know, it's not like when you're listening to an eighties movie, like with the synth, it's like, they're, they're good songs. Right. Crash Test Dummies, that was their peak, the mmm song. Uh, New Age Girl by Dead Eye Dick, If You Don't Love Me by Pete Roche, and Where I Find My Heaven by the Gigolo Ants. I think all of those 29 years later have really held up. What do you have? you have any for what stage is the best for you? I don't know, the Shaggin' Wagon? I do love the Shaggin' Wagon. Do you think it still exists? Is it like in some warehouse somewhere? No, because at the time when they wrapped that movie, they didn't know if anybody was going to see it. They didn't know how iconic it was going to be. Yeah, it's probably gone. I would bet anything that it's destroyed. But taking that, you know, the air at boom, shakalaka, A couple quick categories. Kid Cudi Pursuit of Happiness Award for Best Needle Drop. They dropped that Crash Test Dummies mm, 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 song, right? As Lloyd and Harry are breaking up. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's like the perfect, like yeah. kind of sad. It's it's a good mood setter. So I'm going with that. Yeah. But the Big Kahuna Burger Award for best use of food and drink. The super hot peppers. Super hot peppers, of course. Well, under the laxative and the tea, but the super hot peppers thing. Yeah. So if you're, let's say you're in this movie, let's say you're Harriet. Oh my God. Are you eating the hot peppers? Are you like method acting it? No, I don't do anything method. Ooh, I don't even like to. Stand up in between scenes. So you really wouldn't? You wouldn't do it just to do it for the reaction on the on camera? No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on how spicy it is. If it's like really gonna like, what is it? Is it like a ghost pepper or just like a red pepper? They said it was uh, I think it was a they just called it super hot. Craig, did they say what kind of peppers those were? Super hot red pepper? Peruvian hot pepper? I don't know. I'll look it up. I, I would probably do something to give myself like a little bit of a spice. But if you if you really get one of those where it goes in waves and your mouth is burned all day, that's going to. They're called atomic peppers. 
atomic pepper. I would probably eat like a jalapeno or something, something I can handle that, but would be able to give me the reaction. The Den of Thieves Benihana Award for scene-stealing location. I don't know if this is scene-stealing, but I did notice the aerial shot. Sorry, I'm back to the shagging wagon. I'm obsessed. But the aerial shot when they start their road trip was really similar to the road shot in um, Ace Ventura, and I didn't know if that was on purpose. I don't know why it would be on purpose, but it looked identical. Like a callback. Yeah, maybe. I kind of like, I don't know if they were actually in Aspen or if it was fake Aspen, but I liked being outdoors in Aspen. I liked the hotel, which is definitely a hotel. Yeah, I love the hotel. But just that whole scene just felt very like posh, snowy. That's part of like the finding the cash and the suitcase briefcase and it being like a really compelling part to start. It's like a sense of relief too. when they are finally like they're in robes and they're warm yeah. and fed. And <laughs> right. Um, so the Butch's Girlfriend Award for the weakest kind of piece of the film, they want us to believe that Lauren Holly's character, Mary Swanson, who's supposedly mourning her missing husband, um, who's been kidnapped, which they kind of, kind of float over that plot, but that all of a sudden she's attracted to Harry and Terry Gar's character is trying to set them up. I don't, I'm confused by that part. Right. Because if she's supposed to be going, acting like everything's normal, then why would she be dating another man? <laughs> right. While she's married. Yeah. In general, the kidnapping plot. So the kidnapping plot is very confusing. I mean, I assume that this guy was a trusted family friend. So when they wanted to call the FBI, he was like, no, you absolutely can't. They'll, you know, because why else would you not just like call the FBI? Right. You would think you would. So. If we're going to really break this down, which probably nobody ever has done before, Mary Swanson, husband gets kidnapped. She's mm -hmm. living in New England. Mm -hmm. She has to bring a suitcase of cash to the airport without telling the FBI. But she also buys a ticket to Aspen and leaves the briefcase. This was before 9-11, so it doesn't matter. But also she dropped it before even getting on the flight. Did she even have to go to Aspen? I have a lot of questions. We're going to do this later in picking nits, but I'm glad we're talking this out An now. airport what? is the most surveilled place in the world. It's not a good place for a heist. Okay. Well, you would think if you're going to do this correctly, somebody else would have a different suitcase and you would do the thing where you put the suitcase next to the other suitcase and then pick up the different one because there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. Would be my guess. Yeah. I don't know of the plan of put a suitcase of cash just in the middle of the airport and walk away and fly to Colorado. Seems what dicey. The old mafia movie where they're using a storage unit and at the airport or at the train station, it's going to drive me crazy. And then at the I very end, they don't about. give it away. There's not like a big scene. They don't give it away. They just see the guy that we don't like going to the storage thing. And so we know he's going to get arrested. Right. I know what you're talking about. And unfortunately I cannot think of the movie, but you're right. It just seems like uh, they could have maybe added an extra scene there. What's age the worst? So the what's age the worst is basically like what 29 years later, you're like, what the hell is that? So a good example, they show a current affair. They show the, uh, the TV show they're watching in the kitchen. Now mm -hmm. current affair, I don't even think that's been on for 15 years, but they do the, they do the heist thing. And then it's like, and then the blind boy who loses, who bought a parakeet with no head, um, I don't think anybody under 30 knows what a current affair is. Did you know what a current affair is? Was that still on when you were a kid or no? Yeah. yeah. 
I don't, there's no current version of a current affair. I don't even know what that'd be. Um, where do you stand on Dumb and Dumber, the prequel? Mm. I'm going to put that in what stage of where it's yet. Um, so the actress who's one of the bad girls or bad guys, Karen Duffy, mm-hmm. when she's in this movie, this is this impact is age the worst because she was an MTV VJ named Duff. And when she was trying to be an actress, it was like, oh, my God, that's Duff. She's in this. But now nobody would know that in 2023. Oh, yeah. Nobody would know. And then here's the last one that's what's age the worst for me. So Beck had a chance to have the theme song be Loser, his most famous song, and turned it down. Well, he explains, I remember getting a phone call one day and my manager said, there's a film that when he uses Loser's theme song, there was a long pause and he said, the name of the film is Dumb and Dumber. And I just remember that sums up what the world thinks of me at this point. I tried to have fun with it, tried not to take it too serious, but at the same time, it was a little disheartening. Oh, and then my it turned God. out. Yeah. So he, he like got his feelings hurt. Yeah. Wow. That was, he took that personally when he probably didn't have to. St- probably still a good choice for Beck, though. To stay out of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. How does he know? I think so. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to laugh at that song. <laughs> the uh, Ron Burgundy flew to where it's so best time for a pee break. Any two minutes of this movie where you're like, ah, I've seen this part. I'm, I'm going to run out. I have Lloyd oh. waiting at the bar. No, no, I like Lloyd waiting. You mean we landed on the moon? That scene where she's like talking about her boyfriend? Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Maybe the gas station where he's the FBI lady. Oh, that's a good one. All right. Let's go with that. Was there a better title for this movie? Um, I'm going to say no. Possibly, but I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have it. But I'm really bad at titles. Who do you think was dumber? I think the dumbest. I think Lloyd. Yeah, that's what I had to. Best quote. The two most famous quotes from this movie are, so you're telling me there's a chance. And Mm -hmm. just when I think you couldn't be possibly any dumber, you do something like this and totally redeem yourself. I feel like those two quotes kind of moved into the pop culture kind of universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You just drop that. People know immediately dumb, dumber. Is there another quote from this movie that you would say did that? Or is it just those two? Our pets heads are falling off. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Okay. There's three. All right. Casting what ifs. We mentioned the money stuff. Um, so apparently Steve Martin and Martin Short turned down the role of Lloyd before Jim Carrey became a star. Had no interest whatsoever. But then this is where it gets really, uh, I could not believe this. So they get Jim Carrey. His co-star was supposed to be Nick Cage. That is just so wild. Nick Cage wants $2 million. And they say, screw it. They start battling about the salary. And then he goes and does Leaving Las Vegas and wins the Oscar. Wow. And they get Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Big sliding door. Yeah. Fork in the road. Total side note, I that what was the latest Nick Cage movie with the incredible unbearable weight of talent or whatever it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. You like that one? Yeah, I thought it was really funny. Have you had a sliding doors role like that where it's like, oh, if it had gone this way, this would have happened. And if it had gone that way, that would have happened. Yeah, Twilight. So what tell the story? I I mean, I there's no story. I auditioned for Twilight. They turned me down immediately. I didn't even get a call back. <laughs> But my life would have been totally different. I got Hunger Games, I think, like a year later. When did you do Winter's Bone? Was that after Twilight or during Twilight? Or like when they were figuring out? 
Um, I, that was probably after Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone was like 2009. All right. So let's talk this out. You get Twilight. Yeah. And you're now doing three Twilight movies over the next, what is it, like four years? There's like a four-year commitment to do three Twilight yeah. movies. So how's your life different at that point? I mean, the work is still the same because I felt similar when I was doing Hunger Games. Like I have to, I have to churn out movies in between so that I'm not only, you know, known for this franchise. Right. I was, I was still in a franchise, so I was still trying to counteract the franchise-ness. And I, I would still be doing that if I was in Twilight. I, you're not happy with my answer. I'm sorry. No, I'm thinking about it because I had a daughter who was like, you know, four or five, six. It was like basically like the youngest part of the Twilight demo. And Twilight felt almost like it was too big. Like Hunger Games felt the right kind of big. Twilight felt like invasive to yeah, well, Stuart and Pattinson. I, that's, I almost didn't do Hunger Games because Twilight had come out and that fandom had happened. And I was just when I was trying to like talk to people about like making this decision after they offered it to me. And I, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. And it it was so hard to explain to people. It was like, you, I don't think you understand like this level of fame is like, it's on. Cause we, I just assumed it was going to be like twilight, like the twilight level of fame. And that was just never something I had in mind. I wanted to do indies and, you know, and I, I wanted to do good films, but I didn't want to be the most famous person on the planet. Like that's a right. very different life than what I had pictured for myself. Well, it also felt like the last era of celebrity fame like that, because that was still like the end of the Us Weekly era. It was a little pre-social media. Social media hadn't kicked in the way it is now. And there was like so much paparazzi and so much interest. And it just seemed like those two were miserable for three years. Not that I'm sure you went through some of that, too, in different ways. I I, I totally get it. I would have been miserable, too. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like she, they both came out okay, it seems like. Totally. And nobody, like, doubts that they can act, you know? It's like Dakota Johnson with, um, what's it called? Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, she's a phenomenal actress, so Fifty Shades of Grey just, like, got her name out there, and nobody could say that she was a bad actress. Right. All right, this is the Mark Ruffalo, Vincent Hanna, Saul Rubinick. There's there's a long story behind this this award, but the... The overacting work when somebody dials it up in a scene. And I'm going to go with uh, Seabass. I thought Seabass dialed it up, but it turns out he was an NHL uh, multi-time all-star. But he's got the, got the faces that he's making and, and the, the tobacco. and um, Well, also, he he makes the perfect expression when he comes into the, st- into the stall at 2.15 on March 25th for Manly Love. Right. <laughs> his face lights up when he sees that it's Lloyd. Yeah. Um, Best that guy. So there's two two like elite that guys in this movie. That guy is when you can't remember who somebody's name is, but like, oh, it's that guy, but you don't totally know the name. Yeah. One of them was the rich guy who was orchestrating the whole kidnapping. That His name is Charles Rocket. Yeah, what was he in? So SNL, first five years, the cast blows up. And the next year, he was supposed to be the Chevy Chase. And he ended up saying the F word on live TV and ended up getting fired like two weeks later. So that was kind of what he was known for. God, a lot of people were about to be the next Chevy Chase. He really, Chevy Chase pissed off a lot of people by becoming Chevy Chase. I know. And a lot of people wanted to, and it just never happened. But then he became like a that guy. The other one was the cop, 
was played by Harlan Williams, who's been in a bunch of other Fairly Brothers movies. And it's got, Wait, he's a cop. John, John Cusack is the cop. Which cop are you talking about? I'm talking about the, you fellas been doing a little boozing, have you? When he is drinks the pee. That, that's not John Cusack. What? Yeah. I hate to break My it whole to you. Life. Sorry. <laughs> you can no. still think it's John Cusack if you want. I was like, it's so cool of him to do this. <laughs> Harlan Williams. Um, Okay, so the Deion Waiters Award we give out. This is Deion Waiters was a basketball player who would just come in for like five minutes and make a bunch of shots. And we they call it a heat check. Cool. So from a heat check standpoint, somebody who just comes in only has a couple scenes, but they crush it. Probably goes to the the bad guy who dies from eating the peppers. He's only in yeah. like four scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like Terry Gar though as the as the kind of drunk aunt who's trying to set up Mary and Harry. He's great. And all, yeah, she's good. She's great when she's, Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So it's one of those two. All right. Let's recast the top two parts. Who would you go? You've worked with some of these people. Who would you do? If you're making, if you're remaking dumb and dumber right now, who would you put in the two parts? By the way, you can go female. You can go one male, one female. Like, what would you do? I guess I would go Tim Robbins for Lloyd. Tim Robbins. Interesting. Okay. And I would go myself for Harry. All right. Let's say it's another female. Who do you want to be in Dumb and Dumber with? Let's cast it. Amy Schumer. Who's Harry and who's Lloyd? In that instance, I guess I would be Lloyd and she would be Harry. And I don't know why. What's Lloyd's name in this movie? It can't be Lloyd. That would be weird. Laura. Lita. Laura. So Laura and Harriet. Okay. All right. We'll see if somebody bites on that idea. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so? Okay. No, I'm really bad at titles and casting. <laughs> Let's take a break and then we're going to do half ass in our research. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. You know, it sounds good after a long day. Ice cream. I love ice cream. Right now is the perfect time to get some Sonic has half-price shakes every night after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. Just think of it, all that creamy, soft serve, hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size. Listen, a lot of people like goofy shakes. I like vanilla shakes. You can throw 40 flavors at me. You know what I'm going to order? You know what I love the most? Vanilla shakes. It's perfect because me and my family... At least once a week, we still all get ice cream together when we're together. Grab Sonic Half Price Shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Vital Farms keeping it bull free. We always wanted our kids as they were growing up to have stuff that came from the right places. Vital Farms is perfect for this. Here's how good Vital Farms is. You can go to vitalfarms.com slash farm and you can get a 360 degree peek at the actual farm where your eggs came from. Uh, it's a certified B corporation. They are devoted to improving the lives of people, animals, and the planet through food. Great taste. You can do fried, poached, scrambled. Vital Farms bet you can taste the difference. Food simply tastes better when you know where it came from. Shop the farm that's a certified B corporation and gives their hens the lifestyle they deserve. Vital Farms. Look for the black Vital Farms carton in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. 
All right, half-assed internet research. So Jim Carrey's chipped tooth, do you know the story? Yeah, but it was a real part that he took out. I like when actors do this and that and they make a big deal about it in the writing about the movie, where it's like he removed his cap. It's like, well, that's pretty easy. You could just put it back after. But that was he uh he got in a fight with a classmate as a child, chipped his tooth, and they took it out. So that's really what his tooth looked like. Um they filmed the Aspen scenes in Breckenridge, Colorado and Park City, Utah. But the Danbury Hotel, which is not a real hotel, it was the Stanley Hotel, which is the hotel that The Shining was based on. Oh. This is where it gets weird. Craig, you're going to love the story. During the filming, Jim Carrey stayed the night at the Stanley Hotel. He asked to stay in the infamous room 217 from the book, which was 237 in the movie. So Jim Carrey's staying in the room. According to the tour guide at the hotel, three hours after he went to sleep, he came running out of the room and left the hotel. Has never been back and won't tell anyone what happened. This is an actual story on the internet. This is why it's half-assed internet research, but this is on the internet. Wow. I've also run out of hotels because of ghosts, but I'll tell anybody why. (laughs) You have a go- you have a hotel ghost story because I did too. Really? What what's yours? What hotel was it? Um, I, well, it was houses that I was renting in New Orleans, and I had a hotel that I would go to uh, in the middle of the night, like when I when I needed reprieve. Okay. So, what was the ghost? Um, there would there would be footsteps up and down the hall, doors slamming. Door slamming is tough. Yeah, door slamming was a hard, and, and for so long, I just kind of like your brain just explains it. I was just like, oh, it's my assistant or it's, you know, and then I would ask her. And then at night, you know, when everything's locked up and I have security, I know nobody's in the house and, and then doors would be slamming. Did you try, did you try to trace the history of the house? Um, no, but I, I, I sent a group chat to some actresses that I figured what somebody in there is going to have like a ghost hunter or something that can cleanse the house so that one of them like writes back and she's like yeah this woman she does it you know over map quest just give her the address so i gave her the address and she said the house could not be cleansed because too much blood was spilt there oh <laughs> so, my god so i rented another house and i moved and when the guy was like showing me around the house i was like have you ever had you know any go because it's new orleans they they talk pretty openly about like we would all show up and the a couple crew guys and myself, we'd be like really shaken up from like a night of, and the New Orleans locals would just be like, oh yeah, well, last night was a full moon. You know, the houses get real loud around here. And so I asked him like, have you ever had any, you know, and he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, okay, well, that makes me feel safe. I moved in and immediately had to move out. I got home from work. There was a vacuum cleaner in the middle of my room. And we knew that nobody had been there because we have cameras and all that stuff. And, um, and then I was on the phone with somebody downstairs, we were doing nights. So it was lunchtime at midnight and I was downstairs and the door upstairs just started slamming. What? Yeah. So then I finally just moved into the hotel, the Maison (laughs) in um, New Orleans. And then I just, whenever I go to New Orleans, I just stay at the Maison. If anybody's wondering, the Maison is not haunted. So here, here's my take on this. Cause I'm a ghost guy. I think this means that you have like the vibe that the ghosts feel like. I don't know. I think that's what this is. Do you get weird feelings when you go into houses? Um, You know, sometimes when I drive by houses, I feel like I can feel exactly what it feels like to live there. My publicist is dying. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and I can sense death on people for sure. <laughs> See, there you go. That's why the ghosts are coming at you. <laughs> okay, what's yours? I was in the Oklahoma City in 2010 to go see Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook play. And I stayed at the Skirman Hotel, which was allegedly haunted. And when I was checking in, I asked them to put me on the floor where the ghost was. And the lady behind the counter says, oh, you want to meet Effie? I'm like, yeah, that'll be fun. So I go, I go up, like whatever, I go to sleep at like two in the morning. I'm one of those people that when I fall asleep, I don't wake up. Like even when we had kids, like the kids would be crying. I don't wake up. I'm just out. And at four o'clock, I just woke up because I thought somebody was in the room and all the hair in my arms were standing. And it was like one of those. And I, I, so I'm like fumbling for my glasses. I'm like, hello, hello. And I grabbed the glasses, put them on. And it's over by the window where I think the person is. I turn the lights on. Nobody's there. It's empty, but I'm positive somebody was in there. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this hotel? So I check, I start Googling it on my phone. And it was about this ghost Effie, who was the mistress of the person who owned the hotel in like 1920. They had a, she had a, like a mistress baby and was kept in this room and ended up jumping out the window to her death with the baby. Oh. And where I looked, I didn't know this story. And when I, where I looked over was the window and then I was just up the rest of the night. And after that, I believe in ghosts because I have no other explanation for what happened. See, now my dog's barking. Um, but I had I had no other explanation for what happened. I didn't know the story until afterwards. So that made me think like, all right, this is real. But now, now I'm like fully in on, I totally believe it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just no... it's like, I've seen it when I was, when I was doing Causeway was when we were having all of this ghost drama and I could tell that everybody, you know, the people that were working with me in my producing party, they were just like, she's really tired. Oh, she's really tired. And it's like, yeah, I'm I'm working 18 hour days. And then when I get home, I just want some more attention. So that's why I just run out into the front yard at like three in the morning, switch to a hotel. So I finally, I have my producing partner sleep over with me when we stayed in the new house and, you know, not as like, a, I'm going to prove it to you. Cause at that point I was genuinely, I was tired and I just didn't care. Like I knew that things were happening and I, I did not care. Like I, I'm not, you know, you would have to commit me. And so we were sleeping in bed together and the doors to the bedroom just opened. And I looked over at her and her eyes were wide open. <laughs> She's just really tired ladies. And I was like, did you see that? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I saw that. It sounds like you need to be in a horror movie. I love horror. It's my favorite. Can't you be in a movie where you move into a house with your husband and your oh, two small kids, but then something weird happens? Weird, I think. And also, what if what if it got worse? What if I movies stopped having the ability to scare me once I like got you know the once the fourth wall was dropped? I my number one other than Halloween, my number one scariest movie is Amityville Horror, which is now super dated but still scares the shit out of me. We just watched it like three weeks ago with my kids because they love oh, it. I'll watch that tonight. That's one of those where that's like kind of the first there's something wrong with the house movie. Now yeah. they made 120, but they always work. Those to what? Like there's a murderer on the loose? Yeah. I think it's scarier because everybody's moved into a house or an apartment or a condo at some point in your life. And the thought of that property having a history that you have no oh, control yeah. over. I think is the single scariest thing other than murder on the list, which has been made a million times. All right. We had a huge tangent there. Um, 
This is why the rewatchables is fun, right? You never know. You go on these little tangents. Yeah. Um, okay. So Jim Carrey refused to shoot the alternate ending of Harry and Lloyd getting on the bus with the Hawaiian Tropic Girls. I think that was the right call. Me too. Yeah. Good job. Jeff Daniels said he was at a golf course one day and Clint Eastwood told him he had just seen Dumb and Dumber. And Jeff Daniels braced for a negative reaction and Clint Eastwood said he liked it and that the bathroom scene had happened to him once on a date. That's what he told Jeff Daniels. Wow. Yeah. The big... <laughs> we forgot to mention this. The big gulps, huh? When he... Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Oh, big gulps, huh? All right. Well, see you later. Well, see you later. Those guys were not actors. They were just hanging out watching the filming and Jim Carrey just improvised that and threw nice. that in. And then uh, I didn't know that I didn't notice this in the hundred times I've watched this movie, but when Lloyd checks the time in the men's bathroom stall, his watch says casino alarm chronograph. So like he bought like a fake brand Casio watch was the mm. joke, but it's really fast. You have to notice it. All right, Apex Mountain. So Apex Mountain is, this means when somebody is at their highest level of success, power, influence, um, and you have to decide, was this movie their Apex Mountain? So this is a good example for this. Jim Carrey, I think coming out of this movie. Well, Ace Ventura, I feel like, was his Apex. So this, I don't know, they're, they're, they both are? Yeah, but think after this, after he has three in a row, like he could basically get any movie Greenlit he wanted, right? He could have made a movie about a, haunt, a comedy about a haunted hotel where he's upside down. And yeah. the studio would have been like, okay, here's money, make that. Yeah. So I would probably say this, Lauren Holly, maybe. Jeff Daniels, he had speed in this in the same year. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But speed, like basically recreated or, re, you know, rebooted the idea of a summer action movie. Mm -hmm. that got stolen year after year after that and then this movie fairly brothers i'm gonna say there's something about mary definitely they could do anything they wanted after that yeah aspen i don't know probably not snow owls you ever thought about snow owls before since this movie no okay only when i see kitty cats that kind of remind me of a snow owl (laughs) how about frozen tongue sticking on a metal pole well, that's Christmas story. Okay. All right. That's all I got for that. Best racehorse name. I'm going to give you either Lloyd Christmas, Seabass, or Dumb and Dumber. What horse would you bet on? Seabass. Okay. Me too. Picking nits. We mentioned the kidnapping plot. I still don't really understand what happened or how she explained to the husband after he was saved. Oh, here's Harry. I spent the day with him. Yeah, I don't understand her needing to hang out with a man she's never met before in order to look normal to people who know her and would be like, where's your husband? Why are you on a full date? Yeah, where's the Aspen society wondering what the fuck's going on with this lady and this weird guy with the crazy hair? Any any other nitpicks for you in this movie? Anything that sticks in your craw? Nope. Well, I mean, I, I, I want Lloyd to end up with Mary. You know, it breaks my heart, but... Should that have been the sequel? No, because poor Mary. <laughs> Mary's the best. Yeah, Mary's good. Yeah. The next category is sequel, prequel, prestige TV, all black cast are untouchable. Well, they made a sequel and a prequel. So we, rarely do we have two of those actually happen. Um, 
Is this movie better with Wayne Jenkins, Danny Trejo, Catherine Hahn, Steve Buscemi, Sam Jackson, J.T. Walsh, or Philip Baker Hall? Have you worked with any of those people? No. It went really fast, so I hope I, I didn't, like, rudely forget someone. Want me to go again? Danny Trejo. Catherine Hahn you never worked with? No. But I saw her at a party one time and gave her a, a deep bow. I think she's my answer for this. I think we could have squeezed her in. She could have been part of Mary's family. Oh, yeah. Well, in that time, too. I mean, she was talk about an apex. Squeeze yeah. her in. Just one Oscar who gets it is the next category. Jim Carrey? Yeah. All right. Probably unanswerable questions. I have three. First one. I'm glad we talked about um, curses before or ghosts. So Jim Carrey's character, Lloyd, gets really mad. Spilling the salt. He says it's bad luck. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard this before? Do you believe spilling the salt is bad luck? I do now. Um, I don't remember a time where I hadn't seen this movie. So I've always believed that. But yeah. Probably. So if someone spills salt, you're like, uh-oh. And then the door starts slamming in your house you're running. And you're like, oh my God, shit's going down. Uh, I clock it. I don't always say something because that would be annoying. Like, Have you ever seen the movie? But I clock right. it. I'm the same way. I, I, I've only seen it in this movie, so I don't know if they made it up, but who knows. Uh, next unanswerable question. Do they really need to protect snow owls? Are snow owls in danger? Like, I didn't Google this. Is That's there a like really a snow owl question. shortage? <laughs> are people coming yeah. after them? Are other animals like going after the snow owls? Are they having trouble reproducing? I, it's just kind of left over here. Yeah. All right, here's the big one. How much money was in the suitcase? I was wondering that when I was rewatching it, a hundred thousand. Well, so here's the thing. He says at one point that they, the Lamborghini that they bought was $275,000. And it seems like they bought that. They're not renting it. But wasn't there that whole movie myth thing about money because money is actually really heavy once it gets to like a certain. Like how many, how many hundred dollar bills before it's actually like super heavy to lug it yeah, around? Yeah, before they couldn't have flung it and then had it land on the ground and, and fly open. Also, not a good suitcase lock. No. I mean, they were banging on it, banging on it. All they had to do was just throw it on the ground. I have some research on this. Uh, what? A million dollars in $50 bills weighs 44 pounds. Wow. Interesting. So a hundred dollars would be, weigh like 25 pounds? I think here's my answer. I think it's five hundred thousand dollars. Well, now I think it's five hundred thousand dollars too. I'm going to say one hundred twenty-five thousand. You what is this like? Prices, right? You're jumping me. I'll give you thirty to one odds. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they probably spent half on the car. Presidential suite, I'm guessing, is like ten thousand dollars a night. They bought all those clothes and gifts for them to run out. I'm going to say around five hundred. All right, the next category, we're almost done. The Andean Red Zawame Award for what happened the next day. They're hitchhiking back, what happens? They end up passing another bus that's filled with male athletes. Okay. That need to be rubbed down and oiled up and like shaved. Okay, I like it. What piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? If you could have anything from (laughs) the movie. I feel like I've made myself very clear, the Shag (laughs) Morgan. So you would actually have that in your house, like in the in the driveway? No, because I, I mean, I live in New York. There's nowhere to put that thing. Um, so I'll say the book, uh, Of Course You're Angry. That's a good one. 
I would go with the casino watch, I think would be a fun one. Or the hat, the sea bass's hat would be another yeah. fun one. I think the bus is the answer though. Cause that's like one of a kind. Everyone knows what it is. I would they have this Hollywood site now, this prop site where they sell props for movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any anything from movies you they probably had some Hunger Games stuff from in there, but um, but they have like amazing stuff. Like they have like the Bible from Shawshank that sold for like four hundred thousand dollars. And I wonder like if that shag bus was on like in one of those auctions, like what we would actually go for. I would I guess it was like a hundred thousand bucks. I could be wrong, but I, I'm betting that it was just like put down as soon as the movie was over. Yeah, you're probably I have right. so much memorabilia spread throughout America that's so annoying. But like because I don't know where to put it. I, I can't dedicate a closet to like Hunger Games stuff. So in mixed in with my boots, like my actual boots are just like the Hunger Games boots that I wore in the movie. Well, where do you get when you get older? That stuff adds up and adds up and adds up even more. And then you have oh, I'm there. We just moved, and I had so much stuff that I had no idea why I had it. It just it adds up over time. Um, the Coach Finstock Award for best life lesson. What's your best life lesson from this movie? Best life lesson from this movie: take opportunities as they come. That's good. I like that one. I mean, that they would have ended up on the bus with the Bikini Girls. Right. Take your job. Who won the movie for you? Jim Carrey? Who won the movie for me? Yeah. Who won the movie? I guess Jim Carrey, but I really feel bad for not. I mean, Jeff Daniels is really getting, you know, I, I like the more understated. Like, you need to have the, a little bit of the straight man, too. It's so important. So I hate giving all the love to Jim Carrey. So I'm going to say Jeff Daniels. Oh, all right. A little zag. All right. This is where we bring producer Craig in for his take on the movie. Craig, you coming in? Sure. Craig loves when we do comedies because he's convinced that his generation um, is punting on comedies and it makes him very upset, which is why we're happy your movie's coming out soon. Uh, Craig, what's your take? Dumb and Dumber is like a real old classic for me. That was like the first comedy I ever remember. I've seen it a million times. I haven't probably seen it in a decade, though, and I'm genuinely shocked how well this movie holds up. It shouldn't hold up as good as it does, but it does. No, totally. I thought the same thing when I was I was laughing at all those all the spots. I'm not a big laugher when I'm alone. I was like watching on my iPad in bed and like I'm not a big <laughs> laugher when I'm alone. And I was like giggling. I know. Me, too. Me, too. And I was also surprised. Yeah, I don't know if it's the physical comedy aspect of it, but like Jim Carrey's movements will always age well. Yeah, his delivery. Carrey. I took care of it. Yeah, and when he comes back and he slams the door and he spins and he falls to the ground, the physical comedy era, I don't know if it kind of ebbs and flows, but it doesn't, it seems like we're in in an ebb right now. Um, You know, the the Austin Powers and Mike Myers and the Chris Farley and and Carrie. We don't really have somebody that like that right now that's like, who has the belt for... Well, you know, they've really just like kind of given over the... The the youth like that those used to all be powered by like young people and I guess now young people only want or or the industry thinks they just cash them in for TV. Yeah, and the and the SNL pipeline from like SNL character to movie doesn't yeah. really happen anymore either. And a lot of those SNL characters from the '90s, all those guys were physical comedy actors. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. What happened to physical comedy actors? I don't know. Because it seems like everybody, it's way more understated kind of sneaky now versus like the big physical I, I don't know yeah i don't know if it's going to come back and somebody's going to change it but i mean Melissa mccartney she does great physical that's true 
And she's she really good one. sessions on SNL with the with the podium that was on wheels. Um, Bridesmaids. So that came out 2010. Mm-hmm. But that's a good like physical comedy movie that. Yeah. You know, I don't know. We're moving into a different era. Um, well, maybe when you remake Dumb and Dumber with Amy Schumer, you can have some physical. Oh, I, gags I can't do physical comedy, but thank you for thinking that I could. Also, one last note, the uh, the Lloyd and Mary in the limo scene is just like, that's aged so well because that's what every Uber is like now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I just, I just, Uber best. driver asked me recently if he liked, if I liked the scent in the car and I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, I like it a lot. And he was like, it's from the one hotel in Miami. And I was like, that's great. Sweet. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> All right, so your movie's coming out when? Um, on a, uh, June 23rd. Give us the 10 second pitch. It's just a good old fashioned laugh your ass off comedy um, with really good performances, if I do say so myself. But I was mostly thinking of Matthew Broderick and Andrew Barth Feldman who are in the movie. And um, and it's um, I think it's worth I think it's worth seeing and you have to see it in theater because the comedies are just you can't watch a comedy at home alone on Apple TV. You just can't. So now you need to make a horror movie. And a sports movie, I think, are your next two. Sports movie? What? May, why do you say that? You just got to check boxes. You haven't made a sports movie yet. Oh, okay. I was thinking more like, just retire soon. <laughs> <laughs> or you could do that, too. <laughs> you could stay in New Orleans. You could buy a house. Yeah. Hang out with the ghosts. Plant, plant roots. <laughs> um, Jennifer Lawrence, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was produced by Craig Horlbeck, and uh, we'll be back next week. Good luck with your movie. Thank you very much.